Hello and welcome to the Raptor Show on Sportsnet. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. Canada has done it. The, the men's team have done it for the first time. For the first time since 2000, man. 2000. For the first time since 2000, the Canadian men's national team will be representing at the Olympics at 2024 in Paris. Um, wow. Just <laughs> this game. I'm like, I got, I, I'm, I'm, it's like maybe two minutes after the game is over. Um, I've been screaming all up and down, uh, my house watching this in the morning. I, I apologize to my neighbors. Uh, but quite frankly, we should be on the street honking horns. Like this is the world cup or something. I mean, this is literally the world cup, but I mean the FIFA world cup, like, wow, just wow. What a performance. What a game. The best game I've ever seen from a Canada basketball perspective. Just period. The be- And like, there's been so many of these games that have ended up in heartbreak, right? Like, you know, it wasn't like, it wasn't a close game. They lost in overtime when it was Czech Republic or they lost right down the stretch in Venezuela in the last minute. Like, you've had these kind of close games. You even had the close game against Brazil, right? Lou Dort makes that three extra split second on the clock. Canada wins that one. We don't have to stress like this. But then you go into this game and you knew exactly what was going to happen. You knew exactly what was going to happen, right? Spain, experience, finishes top four every tournament. You know, speaking of 2000, Spain has been to the top four of every tournament since 2000. Like, literally every single time that Sergio Scarrello, who took over the team in, like, I think, 09, every single time they go to a tournament, they go top four. And when you watch them play, how do you not get impressed by this group? How many NBA players do they have? How many difference makers do they have? But the way they play together, the way they play as a team, the way that their veterans know the tricks, the way that the young guys are willing and and, and confident in terms of their scoring, um, the guys that they're able to throw out there that you don't even know, but they play an integrated part in everything that they do, the, the culture and the system that they put into it. I'm just so impressed by Spain. Kudos to them. Shake their hands. An amazing effort by them. Honestly, you play this game out many times. Spain wins the majority of the time but who cares spain you're gone from this tournament and canada is through we're going to the quarterfinals we had to win this game after we dropped it against brazil and we knew brazil wasn't even all that because they got washed by latvia all right so they're out the rest of the teams in the americas are out it's just uh usa who lost to lithuania today really and then canada is now in to join them what a game i i guess honestly i cannot even begin to gather my emotions about this one i haven't felt this way about a basketball game since the 2019 championship run i just haven't like this is such a moment for canada basketball the men's team which has been all this promise has been all this like we got this guy in the league we got this guy in the league this guy's gonna show up this guy's gonna show up and you just don't see it right you you paid all that money to you know win that tournament so that you can host it in victoria covid happens right like all these things happen and the breaks and, and the coach leaves the team. Nick Nurse is gone a month before and you bring in Jordy and how is he going to respond? And Jamal drops out of the tournament and, you know, all this other stuff. But man, we did it. Like we actually got to this point where we made the Olympics and I am just so, I'm sweating, I'm crying, I'm laughing. I, I, you know, it's just, I can, I can only imagine what the players feel. I can only imagine what, you know, Rowan Baird, the GM, you know, like Mike, you know, like all these guys that, that run Canada basketball, like what they must feel in this moment, because they have built the program to this point where they've improved it. They've got the infrastructure. Finally, they've got the sponsorships and those are minor things when you think about it, but they're not. And I think the Raptors winning in 2019 really changed the perception of basketball in this country. You saw what. I mean, I think everyone who was real knew exactly what basketball was in this country even before the title, but that opened up to a mainstream audience. It opened up to a corporate audience. You see all the sponsorships. It's on Sportsnet instead of the zone now. You have all the infrastructure in place. You have the players there, and then you just have to execute. And, of course, that Brazilian game, disappointing. But how are they going to respond? And I am just so proud of the way Canada responded here. And it's a team win. It's an absolute team win. I'm going to give everyone credit. But let's be honest. Shea Gilgis Alexander and Dylan Brooks, they need the Kawhi and Adine experience in Canada for the rest of their life. 
They probably already should deserve it just based on the fact that they're from here. But they need the Quanadine experience for the rest of their lives for what they did in this game. Because Spain gave everything to Canada. Like they were outplaying Canada for a large part of it, for pretty much the whole part of it. And even down the stretch, when they were losing by four points in the last minute, they were making tough plays. Like, you know, Nunez, like who was like a 19-year-old point guard? Like he's in a four-point game. The inbound goes to him. He's dribbling to the corner. Then he's got Lou Dort on him, all over him. And then obviously Canada's trying to deny the three up top. And Nunez goes base, baseline and somehow makes a reverse layup over Lou Dort. Like literally, like one of the best defenders in the league. And it's like fractionally he got it, you know, to, to drop. And then afterwards, when Canada makes another two free throws by Shea, you know, you have uh, Santi Aldama making a super contested three at the top to force Canada into a one possession game with like five seconds left. Thankfully, Spain ran out of timeouts, but man, they are tough. They played everything. And so for Canada to pull this out, you have to credit the two who really, really stepped up. And I'm talking about throughout the course of the game, throughout the course of the tournament, but especially in the fourth quarter, what Dylan Brooks did, what Shea Gilles Alexander did. I mean, my goodness, man, like just icon status instantly for these performances especially with a guy like Dylan Brooks. I can't believe I'm starting with him, even though obviously Shea led the game with 30 points and made six of six, all literally six of six. Every free throw was crucial, and he swished every damn one of those. And he was the one who wanted the ball. They were drawing the amount of play. You even saw in the timeout, because you get the access in FIBA, where you get to hear the timeout. And what would you have given to have heard the timeout in terms of how, you know, Nick and Kawhi and Marc Gasol and Kyle Lowry, how they would have spoken to each other in some of those, um, you know, championship moments and those championship timeouts, what they would have said to each other. Imagine you got to hear the timeout for Nick Nurse when they won in game seven against the Sixers, when it was tied 96-96, you know, or 92-92, you know, beware of the inbounder. And then they go to Kawhi. Like, imagine you got to hear that timeout. You actually got it in this case because FIBA is like that, right? You get to hear the timeout, which is brilliant. And you get to hear... That Jordy's even asking Shay, what do you want, man? We can either run the one five little zoom action that you were running with uh with Dylan Brooks, kind of a give and go situation, or we can just go one four flat and just put everybody out, out to the side and you just get an ISO. Like even those conversations to like break down exactly what's happening. It's it's amazing what they were talking about it, it, and get to hear that that access. Actually, it wasn't really zoom action, I guess it was just kind of a dribble like a handoff, but regardless, a give and go. But um yeah, I mean, just wow. Like, the, the performance there was just so crucial. And you got to start with Dylan Brooks because we expect greatness out of Shea. We expect generational greatness out of Shea, and he delivered it. All the times you get promised generational performances, the guy actually delivered it, right? And, and like in terms of Canadian basketball, in terms of, like, when we have been promised in this country that this guy is the guy and has come through for us, it's Kawhi and it's Shea, Right? So we expect that out of Shea, and we'll get to him. But Dylan Brooks, what he did in the fourth quarter, three threes made? Like, literally didn't miss a single three. He started the fourth quarter. So Canada is down 12 at the end of the third, at the end of the third quarter. And it's amazing because they were down 10 at halftime because Dylan Brooks um, committed an unnecessary foul under the basket, kind of elbowed, I think, Willie Hernan Gomez just boxing on on a rebound. Willie definitely makes the most out of it. But listen, this is the game. The game is the game. You're going to make the most out of it, and it's a flagrant foul. That led to a seven-point play because in FIBA, you got the two free throws, you got the extra possession. Well, I guess it's the same thing in the NBA as well. But And then you get possession as well. So, you know, Canada, in that seven-point play in the second quarter where it was tie game, literally tie game, like Spain pulls ahead because Canada fell asleep on a three, which wasn't Brooks's fault. Um, Abrinas gets a three. Dylan Brooks fouls the guy on, on a putback. He goes to the foul line, makes both, and then Spain scores again on the play. So it's a seven-point play in a tie game. And it was like, damn it, Dylan, like, how could you do this? You got to control yourself in these moments, right? And that allowed Spain to open up a 10-point lead going to halftime. It looked like a real mess for Canada. Defensively, they were just not up to speed in all of Spain's off-ball movements. Then Canada comes in, and Jordi Fernandez, give him his flowers. I'm going to definitely go to him as well. Um, but he starts the second half by benching his captain. Kelly Olenek, 
didn't have a point in the first half, but he's still your captain. He's still be your most loyal servant in terms of this program. He's the old head on the team. Well, him and Melvin Edgem in combination, but like Kelly has been that guy, the NBA guy who's come through every single time. You can't question his loyalty. He's been huge for you as well. He benches Kelly Olenek. And it wasn't like punishment benching. It was a tactical substitution. He started Lou Dort in the second half in place of Kelly. And this is when they were down 10. But the reason for that is because then Canada can then switch everything, right? Much less opportunity for everybody to attack, especially because Dwight Powell is a big. He's not really a big. He's more like a wing with some with some size. He can switch everything. You can trust him on guards and all that kind of stuff. Go into that switch everything strategy. And listen, you got some help from the officials because in the first half, all I heard from everybody was crying, crying, crying about the officiating. And I'm not saying it was crying for no reason. Like, there were definitely foul calls. They were like, eh, you know, okay, you know, whatever. But Canada was the thing I played. I, I, even me, you know, I love crying about officials, man. You know, but like, Canada was just getting outplayed. And that's why Canada was getting in foul trouble. And it was unnecessary things that they were doing. Second half, Spain gets called for six fouls in the first three minutes. If, if, I'm, if I'm Sergio Scariolo on the podium right now, I, I'm saying their names are, right? Their names are because six fouls in the first three minutes. Now, here's the thing. All six were actual fouls. But Canada right away was able to eat into that lead, switch everything, you know, give like really, really throw a wrench into Spain's offense because they had 48 points at halftime. And remember, that's in 20 minutes. 48 points in 20 minutes is excellent as a mark, right? And they were running everything perfectly. Canada throws a monkey wrench in their offense and Canada comes all the way back and fights back from double digits and it's super lit. And Dylan Brooks was a huge part of that as well. However, then Canada starts to lose their composure. Then they start turning the ball over. RJ dribbling in a crowd. Dylan dribbling in a crowd. You know, um, Shea drives in for, or RJ drives in for a layup, misses it. He falls over. I think maybe Shea, but regardless, a tough play at the rim. You, you turn on, you, you don't make the layup. It's basically a turnover because you your guy is falling over, has to recover all the way back. It's a five-on-four in Spain scores. Santi Aldama with, like, back-to-back threes. And then he does a windmill dunk on a keeper play where he was pretending to dribble dribble handoff. Canada overplays it. They don't necessarily switch it, which is what they should have been doing because that's what we're doing the whole second half. Uh, Santi Aldama drives back door and keeps it instead, keep, catches Canada by surprise, and literally does a windmill dunk. When it, yo, Santi Aldama is doing windmill dunks. That's how well Spain was playing over the course of this game, how tough they were playing. Him and Garuba coming in because Canada put a couple fouls on both the Hernan Gomez brothers. Wancho first went out, and then Willie went out with him. That's their original starting front court, but their backups, Garuba and Aldama, came in and played excellent in their place. Garuba getting out for transition uh, layups. Him st- uh, stonewalling Kelly the whole game. The matchup there was really favorable for Spain. Um, but, you know... All of a sudden, even though Canada came back from 10 and was looking great, Canada ends up losing this third quarter by two points, and they're down by 12 at the end of it because they lost composure, because they missed opportunities. And at that point, it's do or die. What's Canada really going to do? And right away, it was Dylan Brooks pull up three against drop. I'm talking about over the course of this game, Dylan Brooks created so much offense. Dylan Brooks was doing stuff like driving into the lane, drawing two defenders, doing a dump-off pass to uh, Dwight Powell in traffic. Kelly, like He had a play where... Dylan Brooks drove, and then instantly, like, it was a quick drive. He was attacking off a closeout, and then as he drove, made a a behind-the-back pass as he was driving against his momentum behind him to Kelly because he read where the help was coming from. And Kelly missed the open three, but that's the kind of stuff that Dylan Brooks was doing. Then he makes the wide-open pull. He makes a pull-up three. You know how much we'd be getting on his ass if Dylan Brooks took a pull-up three and missed it? But that's what he's been in this tournament. He's been turning on offense until this moment. Until this moment when Canada needed it most, Dylan Brooks arrived, right? Dylan Brooks arrived, right? Like, this was like the Battle of Helm's Deep. And, like, Gandalf shows up at the very end with, the with, with the, you know, all those riders. And then they come in and they sweep out all the orcs. Like, that's what Dylan Brooks was right now. Like, he came in exactly when you needed him to. It made the three. Made another three. Made another three in the fourth quarter. Like, it was amazing. He was making driving layups. Like, it, he was Canada's second option. You know? And honestly, in a game where RJ had it going early in the game, but then faded again and really struggled and ended up fouling out, which was a good foul, but regardless, ends up fouling out. A game where Lou Dort reverts back to not really being able to make shots, right? 
previous game against Brazil, he was Canada's surprise second option. Okay, but he can't really do it. Kelly Olenek's supposed to be your second option, but he even gets benched in the second half and outside of two threes off of post-ups by Shea, which honestly, do more empty side post-ups. You get, you, you could, if you can clear the floor for Shea on one side of the floor, you have three guys stacked up on the other side and probably a shooter, which in this case is basically just Kelly and Canada, unless you want to do Nikhil, but you could do Kelly on, on the strong side wing so that he's open for the kick out when the help comes down to, to, to Shea when he's able to post up a guard. That play works, and it's worked a couple of times, and it worked twice here where Shea was able to kick out to Kelly both times for three. But besides that, Kelly wasn't really involved. He wasn't really able to initiate offense. He was turning the ball over, and so you needed a secondary option because Shea alone was not going to win this game. You know, Spade was doing a good job. Zones. Boxing one, showing multiple defenders, like switching up the on-ball assignments, you know, pressuring on full court. Like the amount that Shea had to work to get to his 30 points, that's the mark of a superstar, man. That's the stuff that you see from Kawhi. But again, this is still Dylan's moment, right? Dylan just makes play after play after play. In fact, Dylan was the one who um, it ends up uh, tying the game. With a wing three, Shea Gilgis drives and then makes a quick pass. And this is the one thing I would ever say, well, two things I would ever say about Shea in terms of just getting him to the next level. Shea, the passing, is it's, it comes late and it's usually reluctant because he's always looking to beat his man, make the advantage, and then take and take even shots that most teams wouldn't want him to take in the sense that like you're just mid-range shots and all that kind of stuff. Those are not necessarily good on the shot spectrum. Shea's so talented that he's willing to take those shots. However, the passes come late. All right. In this instance, the pass came early. Shea drove and beat his, got a step on his man, help as always, you know, he's a magnet. The defenders go towards him. And instead of like twisting, turning, trying to beat a guy, and he does all that great. You can't even question what Shea does. But Shea, knowing that that's the regular pattern that he goes to, instead kicks it out early and Spain is completely taken off guard and, and Dylan Brooks, no hesitation with that weird one-handed flick three that he does, knocks it down and that ties the game for Canada. That ties the game. They finally make the comeback off a of Dylan Brooks three, right? And and beyond all that, because you know this is Dylan Brooks, man. Dylan Brooks makes a steal on the baseline in the fourth quarter as well. Right after he made a three to cut it down to four points. That's the second three of the quarter for keeping track, right? Dylan Brooks makes a play on the ball where Santi Aldama gets hit in the head, but they review it and the officials give the officials credit on that review. Because they saw what the play was. Dylan Brooks jumped up trying to contest and get a tap out for the offensive rebound. That didn't actually connect for him. And Aldama leans his head all the way into Dylan Brooks's um like armpit, which is super nasty. But I mean, like, listen, this is sports. You know, you you le- he leans his head in and, and he gets caught. And now he wants to like, oh well, well you know, I gotta stay down for the review. Nah, the official the official saw through that. Dylan Brooks has a right to make that play, and it's Aldama being in his space. That creates the contact. So no call on that kind of play. I love that kind of play from Dylan Brooks. Um, Dylan Brooks, after he made the three to tie, right? This is like probably two minutes left in the game. Makes the three to tie. Then the next play down, um, the, you know, Spain runs, I don't know, a million actions as they always do. But they get, you know, chased off the line. Alex Abrinas, who's a really great shooter, used to be able to OKC Thunder back in Spain now. But like, he drives baseline and he gets a step over Shea and... It's Dylan Brooks, who at this point is basically playing five. Like, there are so many possessions where Dylan Brooks was switched off off the perimeter and guarding bigs down low, guarding Willie Herman Gomez down low. But the thing with you, when you're playing five and when you're doing all the switching, is that means your wings and your guards who end up switching and getting matched up in the mid, uh, in, in the in the uh, in the paint, they now need to have the responsibilities of helping because they are the center in that position, right? And we saw an opportunity earlier in this game where. Um, Shea was the low man and he refused to come off of his guy. And I believe actually Dylan got beat by Aldama on the perimeter by a step and Aldama was driving towards the basket and Shea doesn't rotate over, right? That is an instance where you switch, but your wings aren't actually used to playing defense. Here's the thing in a different position, roles reverse. Shea gets beat on the ball off the drive. Dylan is the five in this position. He rotates over against uh, um, against Aldama, gets into position, holds his position, and it's a literal bang-bang play, but he's there for like a half second, right? This is the stuff that Kyle Lowry would have done, I'm telling you. Rotates over at the rim at the last second. There is contact, but Abrinas drives into him because Brooks was there early because he read it. And again, this is not his position, and Abrinas is forced out of bounds trying to throw the ball back inbounds, and he lands out of bounds, the officials call it. 
he touches the ground before he gets the pass out. Amazing play. So Dylan Brooks forces the turnover right after he ties the game with the three. And then what do they do, right? Now it's like, you know, Canada's chance to finally take the lead. I don't even know if it's the first lead of the game kind of situation, but it feels like it, all right? They've been battling uphill the whole time. This is the second time in this game that they have battled back from being down double digits. Second time. And in the second half alone, second half alone, they battled back from double digits. What do they run, right? Pretty simple action, but simple enough in the sense that it created the right advantages for Canada, right? Shea brings the ball up. Gives it up to Dylan, who is the five in this scenario. Gets the ball up top, catches it after sealing his man, and then gives it right back to Shea. This is all very standard stuff above the three-point line. I don't understand, but Spain must have miscommunicated because that's all Canada need to do because they switched out Victor Claver, who at this point has to be in his late 30s. Like, I've seen this guy play in, in Beijing, for example, in 08. Like, this guy was playing with, like, you know, Jorge Garbajosa back when he was playing. You know what I mean? Like, Garbajos is like the GM now for, for Spain. So anyway, Claver gets switched out on the Shea. Definitely not a switch that they wanted to give up, but Shea gets Victor Claver one-on-one. And I give credit to Claver. He's still moving well enough. He's, he's still six foot ten. Like, th- those are all good qualities. And he stays in front. But you can't tell me no Victor Claver is going to stop Shea Gilgis Alexander one-on-one and Shea goes for the step back foot on line three doesn't even matter man you know how good Shea is on these mid-range pull-ups it's nuts again Kawhi-esque right makes the jumper step back gives Karen the lead and it's a, an op- I think this is like in the last minute now right we in the last minute Canada makes and takes the lead finally with that Shea jumper and then what do they do on defense, the next play down, right? I don't think Spain called a timeout or anything. So they're running their dribble handoff action at the top of the floor. They're, again, Spain is so good with their off-ball movement. Canada was getting killed by this, especially in the second quarter, but all in the first half, right? Instead, you know, Canada's able to defend all of it. You know, who disrupts the play and makes Spain going out of the rhythm is Dylan Brooks. Gets a deflection on the perimeter. Now, Spain were able to recover the ball, but it cut off their momentum, on the play, and so then they they reset. They try to drive it again. They go on the pick and roll. You know they they they, they run a screen. They get one of their guards going downhill. Canada does a decent enough job switching, and you know instead of getting a shot off at the rim, he's looking to pass it. And guess who makes the deflection at the rim on the pass, which then creates the steal where Lou Dort's able to secure the ball. It's Shea Gilgis Alexander. Shea Gilgis Alexander makes the defensive play where the deflection, where he's helping at the rim, makes the defensive play, makes the deflection on Spain. Obviously, a lot of good stuff before that. Brooks with the really good deflection at the top to disrupt the play in the first place. Then Canada executing their switches as a team, putting, making them play in the crowd, but then Shea making that extra play, deflecting the ball. Ludor wins it because, you know, just like how Steve Kerr and, and, and Eric Spolstra have been praising Josh Hart for winning. You know, they're not 50-50 balls. They're 70-30 balls for, for, for Josh Hart. They're goddamn 80-20 balls for, for Lou Dort. Lou Dort wins that ball over a bigger defender, gets the ball back, and instantly gets it back to Shea. And then they have to foul Shea, and that's when Shea goes to the foul line, makes the free throws. And that's the thing. It's calm. It's calm, right? You know, like, every single free throw is a swish. You don't even doubt it. You don't even doubt the fact that Shea Gilgis-Alexander is going to the foul line and there's going to be anything else. That guy is cold, man. There's a difference. There is an absolute difference. So many games in basketball come down to the last second. Who is your closer, right? And that's not to say these guys aren't going to make mistakes. They're human, but they are, are not afraid of that moment and they take it confidently. There's human error. People miss foul shots, all that kind of stuff. But that ability for Shea, where he's stepping to the line, there's nobody phasing him. All the Spanish fans are obviously trying to disrupt. If he misses even one free throw, the game is entirely different. It's not a, a two-possession game. It's a one-possession game. Shea makes every one of those. Every one of those. In addition to the fact that he made the pull-up jumper. In addition to the fact that he made a three. In addition to the fact that he made the steal as well. Unbelievable, those two guys. Dylan Brooks and Shea Gilles Alexander, I'm telling you, they led this whole thing. And they were awesome. They made, between the two of them, like, 10 winning plays at minimum in the fourth quarter alone to come back from 12 points and to win this game. But you got to give credit to some of the other guys as well, right? And I thought Jordy, listen, listen to the interviews, um, you know, leading up to this tournament, leading up to this game, you know, Jordy has, you know, worked with uh, Sergio Scariolo before, right? You know, he has, he is a Spanish man, right? Like he, this is something that he's familiar with. 
And I didn't know how familiar because he said that, you know, not only is Sergio a friend to him, he called him his FIBA dad. Right. And I'm like, wow, that's a lot of respect. And if you lose this game, people are going to be online being like, oh, you lost your dad. Like you got son. I don't know, man. I don't know. This is like that moment you beat your dad for the first time in the driveway kind of situation. You know what I mean? Like, wow. Because, yes, Spain was out executing, out playing Canada in the first half, and it was looking bad. But you know who pulled all the stops in the second half? I mean, you talk about that substitution at halftime. When you take out Kelly Olenek and you put in Lou Dort and you go small, that's what sparked the whole first comeback was just that alone. Right? That is such a good switch and such a good opportunity and again it's all do or die in this game you lose this game you're out of this tournament you got to play consolation who knows who's going to show up to that who knows right and, and everyone's gonna be like well jordy screwed up and listen i thought in the brazil game jordy sucked in terms of his decision making none of it came off this game wow just wow you know it reminds me of remember when nick nurse called that timeout in, in the finals against the warriors uh in game two he called a timeout. It was one to, you know, they use it or lose the situation. They used it. And then all of a sudden that allowed um, Golden State to regroup and they hit three straight threes and they win game two. And all of a sudden, instead of, uh, you know, Toronto being up two nothing going into Golden State uh, with like just prime position to win the series, instead it's one one and everyone's worried. Now, of course, whatever. They won both in, in you know, but regardless, Nick in that game was killed for that timeout right and that's just a timeout i don't even blame him so much for the timeout it's use or lose the situation whatever right but what happens in the next game nick nurse is credited for running that box in one and listen he ran that box one actually in game two as well people just forget but they won game three so there's a lot more credit for that game three they run the, the box in one with with fred van vliet and all of a sudden he's hailed as a genius right same kind of deal here with the coach against brazil what, what were you doing jordy then guess what Jordy does in the post game? Calls out everybody, you know, like RJ didn't do his job, Shay didn't do his job, you know, Kelly didn't do. He called out everybody, and he called himself out too, right? When you lay it all on the line like that, you got to come through and deliver, and that's what he did. That's what he did, and so now we got to be praising Jordy because that halftime adjustment. You know how much like you know, cojones it takes to do that. You know what I mean? And like, wow, he he makes that adjustment. It works. It stymies so much of Spain's offense. You look at how crisp Spain was running their offense in the first half versus the second half, night and day difference. Now, of course, it helped that Canada wasn't fouling everything. But listen, fouls are, are come largely as a result of you getting beat, right? And Spain was beating Canada with their off-ball movement, with their just playmaking, all that kind of stuff. Second half, they, they crisped up all of that. So credit to Jordi for that. And then another huge substitution. I cannot say this enough. So in the last, I believe, minute or so... Um, Maybe two minutes, maybe three minutes. Roughly, again, like everything is like do or die in this moment, right? Canada takes a foul. I believe Brooks maybe take, took, took the foul. Um, and it, it was not free throws. It just took a foul, right? Jordy in that moment used that opportunity to play offense, defense. Subbed out Kelly, put in Dwight Powell for the play. And this is exactly what went on after that play happened, right? Spain inbounds. They get the ball to Willie Hernan Gomez in the post with like five, six seconds left. But still a clear, you know, advantage because, you know, Willie's been very good in this game, made a ton of free throws, was very efficient around the rim as always. But instead of having Kelly in the game or Melvin in the game or, you know, whoever, the, he had Dwight Powell in the game for that specific matchup. And it went to that matchup and Dwight Powell held his ground in the post. No one's been harder than on Dwight Powell than me on this podcast because I don't trust him in these big games. But he came through. He came through. In that opportunity, he stoned Willie. Willie still got a shot off, but it was contested. It was hard to make. Canada gets the rebound. They get the stop. That is offense defense. You can't even you can't even imagine offense defense working better than that, honestly. Right? That's exactly what happened. It went to the exact matchup. Droidy read the mind and went in there and made the right play. Now, whatever, man. Every even high school coaches, middle school coaches do offense defense. Doesn't doesn't mean that that wasn't a brilliant play. Vital stop, right? Every possession matters at the end there. And then on offense. You're like, okay, okay, now you don't have Kelly. Now you don't have the ability to space it out. What can you really do? Similar to what Bruno did for Yago Santos in the last play of the game uh, where Santos went in for the layup uncontested. Um, what Bruno did was he was able to screen and seal off the lane to create a, a, an opportunity where he can shield the help defender from rotating over to the basket so that uh, the guard can get in an open layup, right? 
you know, it used to be called a Gortat screen. He used to do that all the time for John Wall and Bradley Beal. I mean, fans of the Raptors know 2015 very well. And we'll never talk about that ever again. Uh, but in this case, Dwight Powell does the same thing, seals the paint, and allows Shea to get downhill and make the and one layup in a very, very crucial time. I think that brought Canada back down two in that moment. So in that offense defense possession by Jordy, subbing in Dwight Powell and him immediately delivering on both offense and defense in that play, amazing, amazing. And I thought Jordy made a great job, even just listening to him managing the timeouts. There's a lot of Nate Bjorkgren jumping in and being like, hey, they're probably running this. Probably running. It seemed like he was running a lot of the, like the, the, the defensive sequences, all that kind of stuff. I wouldn't, I'm not really sure. And, you know, whatever. He was trying to communicate, you know, and and it's I don't know if the players are getting. I'm not totally sure. Um, he was saying, like, Spain's not going to run this or going to run this or whatever. But Jordy coming in with that voice of calm in the last 10, 15 seconds of every timeout being like, hey, this is what we got to do. We got no timeouts. We got no fouls, right? And just doing the regular, the, the stuff that you need coaches to do. It's not exceptional, but just that voice of calm. Was Jordy ever flustered? Because in this game, where he's literally coaching against who he called the, his FIBA father, who he is is one of the most experienced coaches on earth when it comes to basketball, was one of the, is arguably the greatest coach in international play active right now. In Sergio Scariolo, it wasn't Jordy who was losing his his cool and getting technical, even though he was down double digits twice in the second half, right? But it was Spain, Spain in a one in a one possession game. That they lost, Spain, Sergio took a tech in in the third quarter. And listen, I I don't I don't blame him, man. Six fouls in three minutes. Six fouls in three minutes. Right. So Sergio takes a tech. Then um, Rudy Fernandez, who is the veteran on their team, again another guy who played with like Jorge Gabrahosa. Like you just you know like this is just a, from an era, a long bygone era. Right. You got Rudy Fernandez who is probably playing his last tournament, he ends up kicking the ball and trying to do a little flick up, right? There's no there's no way we need the air show. There's just no way we need the air show, man. There's just no way, all right? Um, but he tries to do a little flick up to get the ball back to officials, but you can't tell me there was some uh, not a level of annoyance with that play, and he gets called for a technical foul. Two technical free throws in a game that was one possession. That can't no one. So it wasn't Jordy losing his cool. It was the other side. We're talking about the vet of all vets on Spain and then the GOAT coach in terms of international play in Sergio Scariolo taking text. Massive, massive game. So credit Jordy as well. The adjustments, the way he fought through this game. Um, and yeah, man, I mean, look, listen, I, I just can't, you know, say enough about the whole group, though. Like, Lou Dort winning those balls, man. Like, it's just... The guy, the way this guy fights, there's a one rebound where Garuba, who's, you know, bigger than him, wouldn't say more physical. I don't think anyone's more physical than Lou Dor, man. It's like trying to wrestle a graveler. Like, it doesn't make any sense, right? This guy feels like he has four arms the way he's rebounding the ball. But, like, you know, he's on outside position against uh, a bigger player who's just as physical. Well, not just as physical, but quite physical as well. And Garuba, who the ball rebounds to, straight to Garuba. Lou Dort somehow gets his arm inside of that rebound, and then as they're coming down, he just wrestles with it. It's it's like fight to the death kind of thing, man. Like that's the kind of like wrestle that they had for the ball, and they called it a, a jump ball, which in this case is possession arrow, just like in college, right? So the last time Spain tied up Canada, that was a, I think RJ got tied up. It was honestly a missed foul call, but regardless, Spain got possession. They scored on that play. Next time down, that's Lou fighting a bigger player. That's what I mean, man. It's it's eighty twenty balls on the Lou Dort man. Give me Lou Dort over Josh Hart any day of the week. Lou Dort the the effort and the fight that this guy gave through it was amazing. And again, you needed these small guards. You you needed these smaller players because that's when Canada had to you know go to their small ball strategy. And if Lou Dort picked up his fifth foul, if Dylan Brooks picked up his fifth foul, you know even if R J Barrett who ended up fouling out but fouled out like two minutes left in the game, if any of these guys picked up the foul any earlier, or that extra one foul. Strategy's done. Strategy's toast, right? Because you're relying on this small ball group. And listen, another small ball contributor in this game. You won't see it on the, in the box score. I think he made a three in the second half, which was great. But another huge at part of this fourth quarter comeback, Nikhil Alexander-Walker. His pressure on ball on the defense has been excellent this whole tournament. And honestly, if he wasn't breaking everything, 
in the Brazil game, he would have been on the floor more at the end and probably guarded Santos. Was that going to make a difference? Who knows? Santos was so quick, probably even quick, you know, probably even Nikhil couldn't do it, right? But Nikhil in this game, as that substitute, to come in and just bring on, because again, you just needed your wings to come through and they needed to fight. And again, they're all mismatches the whole game. And for these guys to come in, man, I was just so impressed. The team effort from this group, RJ Bear, the way he started the game, cooled off as the game went on. Um, there just has to be another level for RJ. There just has to be another level for RJ. It can't all be like contested, forcing your way, all that kind of stuff. He needs to make the open corner threes. He missed a vital corner three in the fourth quarter. Lou Dort missed a corner three from the exact same spot. Kelly Olnick missed a three from the top that was wide open. Lou Dort missed two free throws after a generous call. Like those are the opportunities that you know Canada could have taken and maybe even given themselves the advantage down the stretch, but it didn't matter. It didn't matter because you got just enough from Lou Dort or from, from Dylan Brooks and from Shagos Alexander. And I, again, I just, I'm just, you can tell I'm just, I'm absolutely buzzing. I'm not even sure I'm making sense on this podcast, but just the way this game was played, how hard it was, how much of an emotional release it was. The monkey is off the back for the Canadian men's national program. This felt like, you know, this felt like the Kawhi shot in terms of just like after that point, And I remember saying this in 2019, back when I was doing, you know, the podcast at Yahoo. And I remember saying after that game, having seen that moment, having seen the break happen for the Raptors in favor of the Raptors at that moment, because up to that point, all we saw was game seven, Kyle Lowry drives, Paul Pierce somehow blocks him at the rim, right? What we saw before that was three years of Lebronto straight. What we saw before that was, you know, you know, can uh, the Raptors losing to the Nets, you know, against Vince Carter and and our, you know, uh, Richard Jefferson making some huge clutch plays in that one, or like we saw even before that, you know, like Vince, the the shot at the end in Game Seven takes the the jumper, it's an open one, and it clanks out. We have seen every break go against the Raptors in those crucial plays, and it created this atmosphere, this feeling that like. No, more, no matter what's going to happen, we're doomed. And that's a natural human thing, right? We're going to connect these seem, these completely unrelated results towards just a general theme that it's about us. We are doomed. Our franchise is doomed. And it took that Kawhi shot to break that moment, to break that mentality and say, you know what? It is possible for us to win. And it doesn't mean we will win just because it's possible, but it's possible. And after that point, I still thought that the Bucks were a better team than the Raptors, and I was so wrong about that. But I said after that game, I w- I'm willing to believe anything when it comes to the Raptors after this point. That point shifted. It was a paradigm shift. It wasn't just a game winner in the fourth in in, in Game Seven, one of the greatest shots ever um, in in playoff history. It was a paradigm shift for me as a Raptor fan. I'm willing to believe, right? I'm willing to overlook the pessimism, and I guess that moment hasn't come for the Leafs yet. I guess the moment hasn't come for the Jays in a very, very long time. I guess that moment definitely has never happened for the Canadian men's national team in the 20-plus years that I've been you know, in this country. I literally have not seen anything like this. But this game should serve in the same paradigm shift. After this point, I'm willing to believe in the Team Canada program, right? And you should be too. I, and you should be too. Because the, the heart that they showed, the, the, the skill that they showed in this game, the togetherness that they show, no, they don't play the way the international teams play. They don't have the cut, move, off ball, slip back door. Oh, this guy's, you know, getting a pin in for a three. This guy's, you know, you know doing all this kind of stuff, all like the zones, all that, like all, all that extra stuff. I wish Canada had that. If Canada had that extra advantage as well, we'd be, we'd be watching a lot of these teams. We've even been watching Spain. We don't have that. But guess what we do have? We have that extra bit of fight, man. We got better athletes than these guys. We got guys in in this program who are now and, and forever willing to play for the team. We don't need the air show. We, we don't need the air show in Canada. I'm sorry. We just do not need the air show. But my point is you, you have to believe in this group, right? Canada has these advantages. We are tougher. Who in this tournament, tell me, who's in the tournament tougher than Dylan Brooks and, and, and Lou Dort, man? Who in this tournament, a one-on-one score? It's like him. It's it's like Luca. Team USA doesn't even have a one-on-one score as good as Shea. And look how he came through for us. The six free throws, the layup at the and one, the the uh, the, the pull-up jumper to, to put them in the lead. Who has a player better than that, right? And this is the thing. This is what Canada is from now on for the men's program. We have so much talent coming in the wings. I already described it before coming to the tournament. We arguably have a team at home. Our B team is as good as the, uh, the current team here. But that's the thing. 
we have to push through. We have to get to that stage and we have to believe. And we, we did it today, man. We did it. Like, this is a paradigm shift, I'm telling you. And if you are not all in, if you are not watching every single game, like, I don't know what to tell you. You're missing out, man. Like, this was genuinely the biggest game to happen in Canada since that Kawhi shot. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. And, wow, I'm, I'm just... I'm just so proud of the team. I'm so proud of Jordy. I'm so proud of, um, you know, the main guys on the team, man. And again, credit to Spain. They are, they have my eternal respect. I've watched a lot of international basketball, not even just stuff with Canada involved. I've watched a lot of Eurobasket. They're literally the reigning Eurobasket champions. You know, this isn't Pau Gasol, Marcus Gasol, Rudy, you know, Ricky Rubio, um, Jordan, you know, I, I guess it's still Rudy Fernandez, but this guy is like, he looks like a grandpa at this point. He's wearing those like volleyball pads that are like yellow and old that look like gym class. Like, wow. Like, it, it's not that golden generation anymore. And they're still competitive. They still have this culture. And if there's one thing you could take from Spain in terms of how they run their program, it's having a style of play and they've integrated literally from when they first play basketball, like seven, eight years old, all the way up to the national team. And all these guys you've never even heard about making all these tough plays, man. Like, credit to them. They have a style and identity. But Canada does too. Canada does too. And, and we're making it as we're, we're making it up as we go. But you can't tell me that toughness and that aggressiveness that we've seen from this group, that fight that we've seen from this group wasn't there. And so after this point, man, Canada is, <laughs> we're through. Obviously, we've got a lot of help. Brazil lost. Puerto Rico lost. Dominican Republic lost. So you know what? We're here. And listen, this is the rightful place for the program, right? Now we can't feel like this is a disappointment. Just like when the Raptors beat the Sixers, now you can't feel like getting the quad trade wasn't a disappointment in terms of how this tournament was going to go. And who knows? They're going to face their version of the Bucks. That's going to be an uphill battle. They face the Warriors. It's like, you know, the Warriors, right? Like, with or without Kitty, that was still the damn Warriors. Believe. That's all. Believe, right? Because we did it. And, and now at this point, we just got to ride with this group. So just so immensely proud of what we saw here today. Um, in terms of your three stars from the game today, <laughs> uh, first star is going to Shea Gilgis Alexander, right? Our captain, our, well, not, he's not literally captain, but I mean, play the entire second half, 37 minutes, right? That's what I said against Brazil too. If, if, if Shea played two more minutes, he played like 33 minutes in that way, 33 out of uh, 40. If he played two more minutes, could that have swung the game? Who knows? But this game plays the whole second half. 30 points, 7 of 12 shooting from the field, made 2 of 3 from 3 as well, 14 of 16 from the foul line, 7 assists as well. My goodness. We have a player as special as Shea goes down there playing for Canada, representing Canada. You know how cool that is, man. You know, you know how cool that is? Like, it's such an awesome feeling in the roof room. And I don't care what it takes for the Raptors to get Shea one day. But it, it would be a it, it would honestly be a shame and a crime to basketball in this country if Shea Gilgis Alexander does not one day put on the Raptors uniform and that we can see this on a nightly basis and give him his appreciation on a nightly basis because he is special. And we saw here today, man, 30 points, didn't come out the second half, made the stop as well. Yo, this guy gave you the go-ahead bucket and then gave you the game, go, and then the steal right afterwards and then made all the free throws at the end to, to win the game. Like, this guy was doing everything, man. And I, I love, love, love watching him. Right, he's got such a coolness to his game, the pace to his game, the brilliance to his game. And my only thing with two is just quicker passing, and this is just asking for the world. But when when you have a player with all the talent in the world, you can't ask for the world. I'm not asking Dylan Brooks to give me this every single game, but with Shea, the playmaking they did today was awesome. Right, and you know there are moments where, especially if you can go a little bit quicker, if you can see the double team a little bit quicker and make the pass early instead of making the pass late. That's the difference between a guy like Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic, for example, right? Both guys have all the right in the world to take every shot that they want. doesn't matter how contested. Both guys are going to see double teams. But what separates those two? Well, many things, actually. But Jokic, early passes, out of the double team. The defense has no chance to react. Joel Embiid, hesitant double, uh, the passer out of the double teams, doesn't make it in the right place. And maybe their stats look the same, but the results are totally different, right? Shea, honestly, a little bit more on the Embiid spectrum right now in terms of closer to that. But... When he makes the early pass, like he did when the, the trust to Dylan Brooks on the wing there, the early pass makes a big difference. The passing. And then the second thing I would say with Shea is I'm not expecting him to lock down everybody, but there is a tendency for Shea to do a reach around. He relies on the poke away too often. And the thing with the poke away is like, yo, it's fine if you have a rim protector behind you that's going to shut down everything and so whatever. But Canada doesn't have that, right? We have guys, smaller guys who can take charges. And then we have, you know, Dwight Powell who, who scares nobody at the rim. No offense, right? So 
you cannot afford to get beat as often. So yes, you can try to throw the reach around. Yes, sometimes you do get beat and then you reach. That's okay, right? But it's a gamble. And for the most part, if you can just stay in front, it's a lot better. But again, you can't ask for everything. I understand this is an A-plus game, though, from Shea, man. Shea is your first star and, and so deserving, but so close because Dylan Brooks, second star, 27 minutes, and it's all because of foul trouble. And, I, I, and again, with Dylan Brooks, I can just ask for a little bit more. Bro, I, if I could ask Dylan Brooks to shut down an air show, too, that'd be great. Uh, but, like, Dylan Brooks, he commits, like, two extra fouls a game on just stuff that doesn't necessarily have to be there. And I understand he plays with an edge. I understand that. But, man, if we could just get more Dylan Brooks. Like, if we, this version of Dylan Brooks is, is absolutely perfect, right? Like, we... And, and the only thing holding him back is that little bit of extraness with the fouls. And if you can cut that out, and again, the on-ball pressure is good, keeping them, you know, you know, uh, turning the ball, you know, and making them defenders, you know, uncomfortable is good. But there's like, for example, what, what Nikhil does on this team. Keeps the ball in front, uses his body, keeps his arms back. And it's, 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 it's probably a little harder to play against Dylan Brooks on the overall, but Nikhil is never in foul trouble because he's playing body position, right? Dylan plays body position too, but he also bumps and does a little bit extra. And that probably makes him special. But it's just picking the spots or at least understanding as the tournament goes on. How can I not put any opportunity for for Jordy to take me out of the game because of fouls? You know, it's like a it's it's the perimeter version of a big man that chases every block, right? Because you will get fouls that way, in the same way that you will do here. You're chasing the steal. But regardless, Dylan Brooks in this game, from literally the start of the game onward, man, he recognized. Yo, the offense is not getting there. Kelly's not really here with me right now. You know, RJ was there for the first quarter, faded as the game went on, right? You know, um, a, a lot of the other guys aren't even involved. So who's going to help Shea? It's me. And wow, like he, it was. The fourth quarter, three threes, made a layup, made two steals. What a player. What a player Dylan Brooks is. So he's your second star. 22 points, five rebounds, uh, two assists, uh, a steal, a block, um, Plus 13, the box score, just amazing. I didn't even reach Shea's line. 30 points, 7 of 12 shooting, 5 of 9 from the field, 2 threes, 14 of 16 on the foul line, 4 rebounds, 7 assists, uh, and what, 3 steals as well? Shea had 3 steals too? My goodness, man. <laughs> My goodness. And then, yeah, your, your third star, I, I, I don't even know, honestly. I, you know what? I, I, I don't even know. I mean, I, I think it should really go to Jordy Fernandez, quite honestly, but... I, I'm going to give it to Dwight Powell. I, I feel like I haven't really given enough credit, um, but Dwight Powell in this game was was excellent. You could give there's a good case for Lou Dort as well, but especially when Canada went to that small ball group, right? The decision was essentially do we do we bench Kelly or do we bench uh, Dwight? And you would typically think, you know, so it's like okay, we're down ten at halftime. We need more offense. We will small ball five with Kelly. No one would argue that. Sound logic. Instead, they go small ball five with Dwight Powell. They improved their defense, not their offense even though they were down 10, because that's what was going to get them back in the game. Jordy was absolutely right about that. And Dwight Powell made an excellent game in terms of just rotating, getting the right places. Um, you know, the seal that he made for Shea, I mean, a couple of the, the stops that he made, like, you got to hand it to him. But, like, a lot of guys are deserving the third star here. But Dwight Powell, I'm going to give it to him. Six points, three of five uh, from the field. This is actually the perfect Dwight Powell stat line. But, yeah, he was he was good. One, one steal, two blocks as well, which was huge. So, your Gerald Henderson award winner, there's only one option for this, man. Holy, the next time I watch the Memphis Grizzlies, I will be watching for you, Mr. Santiago Aldama. All right? I will be watching to see if you are like that again because, wow, 20 points. This guy did a windmill dunk in the game and not like a showmanship to avoid the contact, to avoid the block. He did a windmill dunk off a keeper play. Ridiculous. I have never, you know, I have never seen you act like that before, but the, the threes he does make, even the three at the end of the game. That forced Canada to like, yo, what the hell? Right? Like, Santiago Dama did all that stuff too. So, 20 points. But honestly, Willie Hernan Gomez was 25. Like, they had a lot of guys, man. Uh, Brizuela, like, Briz, Briz, Dario, B-R-I-Z-U-E-L-A. That is that is a Pokemon name. That's literally a Pokemon that is an otter. But, like, that, that, that man who played 12 minutes was scaring the life out of me at the end of the game when he was driving in. He made a reverse layup around Lou Dort. We haven't even heard of this man in in this in this side of the world. It's unbelievable what this main team does. Credit to them. Credit to Sergio. <laughs> Sergio on this summer alone, all right, has lost. He's an inter uh, inter um, 
Inter Milan fan, so uh, Internationale. Um, he lost the Champions League final. Apparently, in that same day, that's when he got the call from the Raptors that he lost the job to potentially be head coach of the Raptors. He's one of the finalists. And by the way, shouts to Alex Adams of uh, you know the, the Raptors for Holic podcast. He has been doing a lot of great interviews. He's been down the ground. I cannot believe the access he's getting us right now. He's getting sit-downs with Jordy. He's getting sit-downs with Sergio. He's getting sit-downs with Bruno. Uh, trip of a lifetime, and he's taking it. So all fair play to him. I'm, I'm crediting these because these are stories I heard from his podcast. Again, the Raptors will make podcast. Um, uh, yeah, like we're talking about he lost the Champions League final, you know, which I, honestly they, they, they played City pretty close. And, and City is definitely a better team. But he lost the final, he lost the Raptors' job, and now he lost like this for the first time ever this early in the tournament. Spain is out. But credit to him. How do you not have respect for this managed team, man? Great game. Just an on, honestly an amazing game. And, uh, yeah, Canada moves on. We are going to have, uh, we are going to have a party with, with Canada and, and, and just, you know, once again do the basketball. I know the Jays are giving you heartbreak loss after heartbreak loss after heartbreak loss. Um, but, wow. But just wow. So, um, yeah, it's going to be Canada versus Slovenia in the next game. Is, am I seeing that right? That's our that's our quarterfinal matchup? We got to play Luka? All right. We'll see what they do against Luka. But, again, just believe. What I said earlier, man, just believe. All right? Just believe. Let yourself believe. Let yourself be open. Let yourself feel. Lean in. If we lose, we lose. But that's sports. Right? But we got to believe. We got to support this team. What they showed us today, I'll believe in anything. So, thanks everyone for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. We will have lots of Canada basketball content as we have done throughout the course of this tournament. And uh, I just, I can't wait to see the next game, man. What we do against Luca, I mean, <laughs> what does anyone do against Luca, really? But, you know, he's, he's actually had a couple quiet games. You know, his teammates have really stepped up. They have a man named Mike Toby, who is maybe the least Slovenian name I've ever heard, but that's okay. Um, yeah, the, you know, Zoran Dragic, are we going to boo Zoran because he's brother of Goran? Who knows? But, like, Zoran Dragic, by the way, that's a Lord of the Rings-ass name. Like, that's, that's, that's that, you know, shouts to Alex. This is a, this is a Smeagol Deagle situation with, with, with uh, Zoran and Goran. But, like, um, yeah, like, it's, uh, it's going to be very tough. You know, if Slovenia makes their shots from three, it's going to be very, it's impossible to defend any Luka team, just in general. But, believe Believe and cancel the air show. All right, thanks so much for listening. I've been your host, Will Lou. Great review, subscribe to the podcast, and we'll be back after the next game.